a good time podcast i'm your host dusty slay and i'm here with my co-host and wife hannah hogan what a great day to be alive it is a great day to be alive uh not for any particular reason but it just is uh i feel good we're here at home in nashville tennessee and um you know, I had Thanksgiving week off. We've done a podcast since then. And then uh, last week I went out to California. I took two flights out to San Francisco, California. There was a chance I could have found a direct flight, but I got a little confused. I was going to a town called Turlock, California, which is outside of Modesta, California. And I thought I had found an airport in Modesta, and I thought that I booked there. But I guess when I was booking the flight, my uh, app or whatever just directed me to the closest airport, and it took me to San Francisco. So I just, I accepted that it was connecting flights because I thought, well, no way there's a direct flight from Nashville to Modesto, so of course I'll do that. But turns out I took two flights into San Francisco, and then I uh, was given a ride from the San Francisco airport uh, f- two hours into Turlock. So it was a very long day. Was it rural? It wasn't so rural, but it was, yeah, it was a small town. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's hard to say. It's like, was it rural? I mean, yeah, compared to big cities. Compared to Alabama. But was it rural compared to where my dad lives? I'd say no. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, they had, I would say it'd be more similar to an Opelika, potentially, with a lot more farmland. I mean, they had really, really impressive farms. It's where Blue Diamond Almonds are raised, and that company is there. And But, but yeah, so it was a long day. So I, I, I took two flights and then a two-hour car ride. You did a corporate gig. And I, yeah, and then I slept that night, and then the next day I walked around uh, just some anywhere America kind of place. I just was just, you know, a Target, a Home Depot, a Lowe's, a, you know, every every little kind of thing. But I just walked around out there, had a lot of fun. And then uh, I went to lunch in downtown Turlock, really great, and hung with a guy who I'd done a gig before. I was He was the guy that, you know, I was doing his gig and I'd, uh, I'd done a gig for him before. He owns a uh, recording studio, not a recording studio, a record label here in Nashville. And I did a gig for them a while back. And so, yeah, so I just did the Christmas party to his farm that he also owns. I mean, it was a very impressive thing. I went out to this dairy farm. I've, I've seen a bunch of dairy farms before. But you, I don't even know how to properly pres- uh, describe this thing. I was going to say prescribe. Describe this thing, but... You know, you, I could stand inside this circle. It was a giant circle where you could fit, I would say, at least 100 cows on this circle. And they would, and it rotated the whole time. It was always spinning. So a cow would walk on it and get on it. And then the, uh, it, you know, through machinery, there wasn't a person there that I saw. Through machinery, it would just take a thing up and hook to the cow's, you know, teats there. 
I don't know what you call them. A bag, udders, udders. Is Fun the bags. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it would, it would attach to them. And then as it was making its way around, when the cow was done milking, it would just untach itself. And then the circle would make it back around. And when that cow made its way back around, it would get off. And it was just wild to see. I mean, I mean, we got to mass produce milk somehow, but we are really out of touch on where our milk's coming from. I mean, it seems like used to be. I mean, my dad always talks about milking cows. He had one cow when 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 his parents were alive, and he he uh, would talk about going down to the barn, milking the cow, and bringing that back for the family, and that's the milk they drank. I'm sure they shared some with people, but I mean, that just blows my mind. And I saw a bunch of almond trees, almond orchards. It was really great. The, the guy was very nice to me. He talked to me about how well they take care of their cows, how well they feed their cows, how well uh, this and this and this and this and this. So I feel like he does care about the cows. So I'm not saying anything there. I'm just saying we are pretty out of touch where our food's coming from, mm-hmm. which is what makes me want to get into gardening. I was just telling you, Hannah, that uh, – uh, I would like to turn our backyard into a wildflower meadow. And there was nothing surprising about that random statement. <laughs> yeah. Like we were just making lunch <laughs> and his back was turned to me. And then all of a sudden, I'd like to turn our backyard into a meadow garden. I said, yeah, of course you do. Yeah, I just think I've gotten really into the idea of, you know, planting native plants for the native species of animals that live here, insects and animals. Like you have native birds, you have native, we, we already have so much wildlife around here. We have native birds, we have native bees and, and different pollinators, and they want native plants. But yet we go to Lowe's, we go to Home Depot, we buy um, imported plants and we plant them in the yard and then the animals don't want that species i think to have what you want which is a meadow garden sort of a wild garden um is you would require a lot of research and know-how on on our part because i think the thing about just picking up some already blooming plants and flowers from lowe's is it's easy you just pop it in the ground and you know these people from lowe's are saying these will work in our soul so we'll just pop them on in and hope it looks good but you know if you want to really orchestrate a a whole garden like you really need to think about you need to research the soil and the land and the well i agree with you but i've already researched no i'm not doubting you i'm just saying i think i think honey i think the reason there's not a lot of wild meadows in the suburbs is because people just aren't given that kind of time to it i disagree I think the reason that there's not a lot of meadows is because we've been sold on the idea that grass is the way to go. What we want is lawns because a native meadow is essentially what you see when you're driving down the interstate and what's growing along the sides of the roads, you know, mm-hmm. or where where land that's not occupied by anyone. And a lot of times that's native because it's been left alone. No one's messing with it. So what's native to the area has started to grow. And we call those weeds. We've been trained to call that weeds. So I think once the it, once you could establish native plants, it would be easier to maintain 
than the lawn. Do you think there was a time when people didn't cut their grass and then there was some kind of trend or push and then people started cutting grass and then it just became about conformity with like homeowners associations or a sense of shame put on you if you weren't cutting your grass? Well, and now we don't know the difference. My understanding is that uh, it used to be a sign of wealth because back before there were uh, lawnmowers, you would have to have people that could cut your grass with, you know, um, uh, sling blades or whatever. So they'd be out there mowing down the weeds to give you a shorter lawn. And only people with a lot of money could afford to do that because the average person was probably working so hard anyway. They didn't want to come home and, and, and sling blade the gla- grass. That's interesting. Yeah. So over time... You know, now it just became part of a thing where it was a sign of wealth. So everybody won. And it's still a thing of pride with people. I mean, Mm -hmm. I want my yard to look good. I don't care if we win yard of the month, but I want the yard to look good. Yeah. And I do judge people in our neighborhood if they're not cutting their grass. Yeah, me too. But when they're not cutting their, and I'm not talking about our front yard doing this, but when they're not cutting their grass, they're not, they don't have a meadow of flowers. They have uh, species that they brought in, non-native species, and it's just their tall grass growing up. Mm-hmm. They're not, they don't have, you know, sunflowers and dandelions and, 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 you know, all types of different perennials that would come back each year, every year. Yeah. Even on the land, uh, in that area where we put the cabin, I mean, before then, I mean, when it, when that stuff really grows up, I mean, there's a lot of flowers out there. So how tall do you want your wild garden to be? Maybe do you knee high? Knee high. Okay. So that's not, you know, they can grow even taller than that. Yeah. I mean, it'd be kind of fun to, to, to grow the, the flowers and the grass and hay and whatever's in there so tall that, you know, it becomes like a fence and they can't, yeah. and neighbors can't even see. Well, that's my plan with the back corner back there. Okay. Where I got, I'm going to try native wildflowers back there this year. Mm-hmm. And see, and then maybe just try to expand it each year. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. That's the plan. Okay. I support you. And I also want to do that on the land. I want a a big wildflower meadow area. I think that'll be easier to accomplish on the land. You just kind of let it go wild. Yeah. I was reading about it today and it seems like, and I don't know if this is interesting to anyone, but I was reading today that it's like in the spring, it requires a lot more water than if you do it in the fall, but I've already missed the fall. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to get it out with all this rain that we have coming right now. Oh, yeah. Dang. I meant to plant some tulip bulbs dang. right now so we have them for spring. But Well, next time. Yeah. So I did that gig in Turlock. It was a lot of fun. I did it for, you know, people that work on the farm and stuff. That was a lot of fun. Then I had that long, long travel day back. And then we just been here. And this weekend I'm going out to uh, Cincinnati, Ohio to the Funny Bone in, in Liberty Township is what it's called. I think it's considered the Cincinnati Funny Bone, but it's a great club. It's a lot of fun there. I remember doing the old Cincinnati Funny Bone, which was in Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> it was in, it, but you know, growing up, uh, Ohio just seems so far, um, from what the South was to me. Like, you know, it seemed like Kentucky's the South, Ohio's the North, right? That's where it becomes the North. And maybe that is true. Maybe that, that, is, that is true. But when you're, but when you're in Kentucky and, and I think it's um, Newport, Kentucky, 
is right on the river, maybe the Ohio River. And then just across the river is Cincinnati. So those two cities are right there together. And so you think about one city is the south, one city is the north, but they're right there. They're practically the same city. Mm -hmm. I just find that interesting. I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, just the idea of what the north was versus what the south was just seemed like I thought the north was all cities for some reason. I just thought it was... Like when, when, when I think about uh, even cities now, I mean, I've just now, I feel like at my age now, I've just now reached the place where I can kind of conceptualize this. Like if you live in Atlanta, you don't necessarily live downtown Atlanta. There's a lot of suburbs of Atlanta that you could live in where you'd be living in a very normal neighborhood, even though you're in this big city. Yeah. And you may never really spend a lot of time in your childhood in that kind of downtown popping area. Right. Yes. And like in the movie, Uncle Buck, there's probably a better reference, but in the movie, Uncle Buck, it all takes place in Chicago, but Uncle Buck lives downtown and his family lives in the suburbs. So when they, when they call him, he has to go out to the suburbs. But so if you're looking at it, you think, well, one, this seems like a very normal small town and the other is big city, but they both would have considered themselves living in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I do think the North does look different than the South to me, the, the architecture in general, because so yeah. much of the South got destroyed in the civil war. And then the North is very industrial and there's a lot of bricks, yes. a lot of brick, bricks, bricks. Yeah. Houses of bricks. So, I mean, th th there are some differences, but yeah, it's like, I just, you know, it's like when growing up my, with my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, my sister's uh, 11 years older than me. So her and my brother-in-law got together when I was still pretty young and he is from Michigan. And uh, I just remember meeting his family and his family all f seemed wealthy. Now they may have been wealthy, but we also were living in a trailer park. So almost everybody seemed wealthy to me growing up. Uh, if you had a house that wasn't a trailer, I thought you were wealthy. Um, and because I knew quite a bit of people that lived in trailers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't like I was the only family living in a trailer. Yeah, your neighbors. So I was like, well, yeah. So I'm like, well, all these people are poor and all these people are wealthy. And I don't know if I use the term rich. I think, I think rich had a different ring to it. But I feel like we have a we have a nice house now. But I don't think we have a house that anyone would say those people are rich, right? It's a nice house. It's a normal house. Um, but growing up, to me, this would have been a rich a rich family. Hey, I feel like it almost might have been for me too. Yeah, I mean, because just you know, for one, we have uh, you know a second story, um, and we have a garage. Yeah. So those are things that I would have thought of as rich when I was a kid. But now I realize that probably everyone that I knew just had uh, married parents and the, <laughs> and the people that lived in trailers were divorced. Yeah. And that wasn't always the case. But in a lot of the cases, I do think it was true. Well, you're, you know, your mom and your dad are from pretty much one of the poorest counties in Alabama. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're from Chambers County. Both of them are from Chambers County. My mom lives in Lee County now. But yeah, they um, yeah, they both come from relatively poor backgrounds. I mean, I don't know if, you know, they definitely weren't rich. But uh, in their time, I mean, I think they were, um, 
you know, just farmers. I know my grandfather was a farmer and, and my mom's dad, he worked in a, a mill. Uh, and I think they did some farming, but they, they, he worked at a mill smoked a lot of cigarettes. You know, I didn't really like, this is probably just being an ignorant kid and an ignorant 20 year old. Really? I didn't really know. I think it's cause I was middle-class. Like I, I didn't have a concept of people being wealthy, people being poor. Cause I don't think I was wealthy or poor. I was just kind of getting along and, um, the, everyone around me was like that, but it, it, it must've felt some kind of way to grow up knowing you're poor. Well, it's interesting, right? Because I was never sad. I never felt sad about it, right? I wasn't like, oh, we're so poor. Um, and, you know, then I also would go to my dad's house every other weekend. And my dad has a, you know, and actually he lives in the house his dad built in 1947. And it is made of cement blocks, but he remodeled it. It looks very nice. Um, and then my dad has a good bit of land and a farm. And so I would have that, but yet, because I lived with my mom, I guess I always just considered, you know, I didn't, I don't think I walked around being like, we're poor, we're poor. But, you know, you just, you know, like my dad's house growing up was not my house, right? So I, I lived in a trailer. And so anybody that lived in a house, I just thought, man, those people are really balling. I don't even know where I got off talking about houses and I don't know what I was well, talking about. Well, I just had a thought. I, I still think, for lack of a better way, way of explaining it, I still think you, you have somewhat of a poor or frugal attitude, you know, because you'll like to pick things up off the side of the road and <laughs> you'll like to hold on to things that we could just go ahead and throw out. And, you know, I said, you know, you know, we don't need to hold this or we don't need to keep this or, you know, you'll want to keep a table and all. It just, it'd just be like, Why? Well, you know, one time my dad had like in my room, like my dad had an office in downtown Lafette for a long time and he sold insurance. And when that office closed or when he retired, he closed his office and he moved all that stuff to his house. Um, and he had like a giant copier printer in, in one of the rooms uh, and he had filing cabinets full of people's things. And the reason is, is he would still help people. If people, if he had written someone a policy and they needed help with it, he'll still help people. But it just like, now it just takes up so much space in his house. And at one time in my bedroom at my dad's house, he had six printers. <laughs> and I remember being like, let's get rid of some of these printers. Let's clear up some space in here. And he goes, well, you never know when one of them's going to break. Well, that's the truth. And it is true, but it's like... You don't need six. Well, you know it's going to break because it's a printer. Yes. And those dang things, the only thing people can't figure out in technology how to make a good one. Printers are crap. I have, a, I have a, a printer right now. I don't know what kind. I don't know what brand it is. It's supposed to be a good one. And it has like six printer cartridges of different colors and they combine uh, to print. And sometimes, because really all I ever print is... Um, mailing labels and, and, and documents. So all I'm using is black and they have two different blacks in there, right? One's photo black, one's regular black. And when one of the blacks runs out, it will not let you just shift over to the other. It will not let, I mean, sometimes I'm like, just print it in blue. I don't care. There's a, there's plenty of blue in here. 
I just, and it will not let you do it. If one of them goes empty, it's like, you got to replace them all. And I'm like, well, why make them separate like this? I mean, what are we doing here? I hate printers. Yeah. It's such a rip. It's such a rip. Well, you should get one of those printers from your dad. I should. Well, I, I, I did convince him to throw quite a bit of them away. But you're right. I do have that attitude. But I don't know if it's so much poor is it uh, attitude as it is like. I just hate to buy things when I could just, like, if I see something on the side of the road, I've tried to make jokes about this, but it'll be like, you know, like a bookcase or something. And I'm like, I don't necessarily need a bookcase right now, but I might one day. Yeah. And if this bookcase is in good shape, why not go ahead, pick it up? But that's, to me, that's attitude of, of growing up poor, because if you need a bookcase in a couple years time, you can buy one. Yeah, but I already have it now. Yeah, but it's got stains on it. It's chipped and it's yeah. going to ruin your floor and it smells bad and, you know. Well, if it's like that, yeah. I mean, if it's like that, don't do it. But they're not all like that. We just bought two bedside tape, four bed, five bedside, four bedside we tables. four end tables from Goodwill. Yeah. I mean, we were, we went around, we were looking for end tables and I was in Lowe's and they had an end table for like 80 bucks. Yeah. And then I walked into Goodwill. We were, we need five end tables for the cabin. I walked into Goodwill. There was four end tables. I got them all four for 30 bucks. You know, I'm not cheap. I was like, come on with it. I'm not cheap. I, I don't like to spend money. But, and I think, you know, my parents were farmers, so we just never spent money. But I don't really have a concept of how much money we have. Because we don't spend money like... We'll go to Goodwill when I'm sometimes like, maybe we could just get that $80 thing and have well, a nice looking bedside table. But I'm like, nah, let's get that two yeah, cent exactly. thing. We could get an $80 end table, but it's like. It doesn't feel right. No. And, it, and it's also like, it just seems so wasteful. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's going to be cheap. Nothing is, we- is not, well made anymore. Yeah, it's not going to be quality. Um, yeah. So it's like you, you get something for 15 bucks. Or less, I think we got the. I mean, we really got those for like eight bucks a piece. Yeah, and you and you you put a little love into them. You can sand some things down sometimes, throwing a little stain on it. It's like sometimes things just need to. Like there there was a little uh, sound going around on Instagram for a while, and it would say, uh, "It's not that you're poor; it's that you suck at being poor." And and then every video would just show someone taking something old. And then redoing it and making it look good. And it's like nobody wants to do anything anymore. They're just like, oh, I'll buy something new. But I just find everything new sucks. It does. I feel like it's cheap and I feel like it doesn't look good. This desk you're sitting at right now, I got off of Craigslist in about 2013. Yeah, it's solid. And I've had it for years. And it's, you know, it's picking off and the varnish is coming off, but it's still beautiful. Yeah. I mean, old things have some real style to them and some real craftsmanship. Well, that's the thing is like a lot of the stores that, you know, the plazas that they build in and around city centers and suburbs, they're all stores that, uh, you know, just make cheap stuff and mass produce it. And everybody just goes there because it's convenient. What's that store that we, we gone to a couple of times, um, um, you go in, it's like all furniture stuff and it, it, everything looks home goods, home goods. Yeah. Everything looks so good. Yeah. But the moment you pick something up, you're like, oh wow, what is this made out of styrofoam? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, it's so, yeah. I was like, Whoa. It's true. It looks good. And then you touch it and you're like, oh no, this is absolutely poor quality. It's so bad. And, and that's why I'm like, that's why if I'm like, see something on the side of the road, I'm like, let's see what's going on with it. Yeah. I bought several things off Facebook marketplace that I'm like, this is just cool. Like the coffee table we have in the one room. I mean, yeah. it's so big and it's just a, I bought it for like 50 bucks and it's so well put together. Mm -hmm. Um, I love it. I mean, I'm all about it. I, I, I want the old things. I want our, our, you know, there's a podcast that you listen to sometimes. It is the, uh, homemaker chic, homemaker chic podcast. And, um, they have the, uh, what's their fault? The Elliot Homestead. And whenever she shows pictures of her house, um, you know, it, they just have a really old house and it's like really like, it, it feels like, I don't know, to me it would feel like, uh, like a grandmother's house, like, but in a good way, like, um, yeah, it's, well, they're very into beautification and, um, aesthetic and, uh, good quality things. So they do buy things that it seems they buy things that are, they save up for things and then, you know, they'll get a great quality couch or a great quality oven. And, but then they'll also go thrifting and get like really neat little artifacts and hang them all around. But I think that their houses are interesting because they just don't look like these Pinterest sort of sh like when you look at houses now, especially even just looking at houses on the market, I mean, gosh, they're all just different colors of gray or white so boring but that's what anybody that's what everybody wants it's just so mm, soulless yeah i mean and i think uh you know i mean some of that stuff can be cool it's like i know people that you know they'll like the motivational quotes or whatnot on the wall and it's like if that's what you like that's what you like you know but i'm like i do like the old style i would love um you know, I really love, there's a, there's a couple of houses on the way out to McMinnville. There's one house right around the corner from us here. And they're just, even one of them we showed to your dad and your dad just, he just had this look of like, why do you like that? Now, Mary Pat, on the other hand, she really got into it. She really liked it. Just seems like an old seventies, eighties style house. Um, yeah. Character. Yeah. Something with a little character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, things are made, it's almost made too nice to have real character to it. Mm -hmm. Well, everything, not everything, but you know, a lot of people are into this kind of, it looks like wood, but it's not wood flooring. Oh yeah. And I understand that because we have hardwood in our kitchen and, and dining room and it, it is high maintenance. And you know, if you scuff it up, you scuff it up and you know, it don't look as pretty as it did when we first moved in. Um, you know, and people get this other kind, I don't know if it's called laminate or what it's called, but it's, it's just, it looks like wood, but it's not wood. So you can scuff it up and it's not very expensive, but I don't know. I just feel like that you lose a little something. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, it, well, that's what convenience always does, right? It's like with our food, it's like any kind of food that you get out here, it's like, yeah, I mean, I want to go to, um, you know, get a hamburger in five minutes too. I mean, I can't stand, like, I'm like five guys for both of us. We've said it takes too long, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. it's like. Um, well, it takes too long because, it. I mean, it, it, in five minutes it's cold. So, I mean, if you have to drive it home. But, it, but it, yeah, it, you know, it takes too long, but it's like if uh, you actually were cooking a hamburger, it would take you a lot longer. And uh, we just sacrifice quality for um for um convenience mm -hmm. all right so um what's the thing Je uh 
I had someone come over the other day and they oh, yeah. were talking to us about social media. Social media. Well, and, yeah, you know, it was our well, friend. Set us up. What did, what did, what did he say? So, well, I really related it to it. It was our friend, he's a comedian and he's really working it. Like as a lot of comedians are really putting out the reels, really trying to be consistent, trying and to get that. he does that, very good stuff. I right, like what he does. Trying to get that viral hit, trying to get that following, get those numbers up, you know, get into the K's, get into the, you know, all this and that. K's meaning that once you hit 10,000 followers, instead of it having the long number, it'll say 10 K. Yeah. And, uh, that was something that was, uh, very cool for me to get. I still remember when it happened and it was very fun to go to that spot. You know, and it's, I, I think it's, I would almost say essential for a comedian nowadays to have a following online. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't, I mean, it does like, um, I've been, uh, very blessed this last year. I really, my followers really grown on a lot of platforms this year. Uh, and it's like, it means a lot. I mean, it, it's like, it's not that it means so much to me, but it's that, you know, it looks good and you're like, you're trying to prove people that you t- that, that you're people out- like you. Yeah. You're, you're, well, you're also trying to prove to people that you're out here doing stuff. So, um, when, when you get the followers, it's like, all right, yeah, I'm doing something. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a status thing. Um, and, uh, and anyways, but so, so he was just kind of saying, you know, it's, he's just out here making videos, but you know, he'll make something that he thinks is really good and really funny and he's proud of it. And then he puts it out and it's getting low views. And, uh, you know, I think everybody can relate to that. And then he, he made a comment that I think also certainly some people could relate to. He said, you know, I'm just about to, you know, just say something wild just to get attention on me or, you know, just say something. He didn't say the word incendiary, but that's, that's what I hear in my own head. It's like just the idea of saying something just to get attention. Yeah. Just saying something. I don't, yeah, I don't want to, I don't know what incendiary means, but I don't want to imply that. Polarizing something that, you know, will catch people's attention just, just to get like, I I think mainly he just wanted to get some, you know, do so, you know, cause people, it's like this, like Will Smith slapped Chris Rock and then it got him huge. Uh, you know, he was already famous, but I got, I heard his ticket sales went up, his ticket prices went up, everything was booming. And he was like, yeah, like scandals and conflict get eyes on you. Yes. You know? Um, and I, I, I felt, I feel bad for him and I feel bad for people that feel in that place. I'm not going to say he's desperate, but uh, that feeling of like wanting it so bad that you'll do anything to get followers online, I think is certainly something that is endemic in society right now. Well, again, I don't want to imply that is desperate and stuff no like i'm that not implying I, he is but but just the idea that like he he's about ready to change his approach because whatever he's doing is not working so he's thinking i gotta get riskier yeah but yeah i mean desperate is not not what i took from it at all but i, I just think that he he was just kind of making the joke that he's like you know it gets frustrating to make quality content and not get the views you want and then you see people that are not making that quality content that are just saying wild things and they're getting lots of attention. So I think the temptation is there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wanted to just put that to you and, you know, someone that does have a following online and it's been a slow and steady build. I mean, you never really had one thing that just blew up. You just kind of have been slowly building your, your following. And, um, but you know, what, 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 what's your approach to social media and what do you, what do you think about when you hear, you know, somebody say that? 
Well, my art teacher always said quality over quantity, right? That was a big thing for him. He used to say that, he said, you know, you could work on one piece all year um, and, and, I would, and I will grade you on that. That will be your grade. He said, I don't care if it takes you the whole year to do it, as long as what you're doing reflects that you've been working on it all year. Um, so I, I think quality is important, but I also think that you got to like, sometimes know what people are looking for in a way. Like I think stand-up is very popular right now. I think people love watching stand-up clips. So that's why I mainly focus on putting out stand-up clips. Now, I don't want to give away all my good jokes. Uh, so usually by the time I post something, it's either a riff or it is something I'm not planning on doing anymore. So I'll go ahead and put it out so people can see it. Um, but the... Um, I, I, I don't know. I just, you, you got to think about what kind of audience you're trying to attract, right? Do you, do you want the kind of audience that's that's going to want that wild stuff? Do you do you want to say something and then, because I, I feel like you can see people do it sometimes where they'll be comedians and then they'll say something political and that'll get them a lot of attention. And then suddenly now they only do political stuff because they've attracted this new audience, but that new audience only wants the thing that they started following you for. So it's like, do you want to do that all the time or do you want to just keep doing it? Because in, in a situation like Jeff, whether Jeff's getting the views he wants or not, he's become so good at what he's doing, the way he edits the videos, the way he puts it together, that he's created his own little world with his videos that, you know, I just feel like you're learning to uh, to get good at something while you're doing it. Like you're, you're, you're mm -hmm. you know, so it's like he's learning a skill uh, in a sense while he's, you know, essentially maybe in his own eyes failing to reach the people he wants to reach. He's learning a skill. So at some point he could probably, if he wanted, wipe it all clean and then come back out and start, um, you know, start with like almost like ground level, but with all the knowledge he has now. Yeah. So I think it's like, you just got to work on, you, you, you also, it's just like with stand up in a way, but you don't get the immediate feedback. Whereas it's like, if you do something and no one likes it and then you do it again and no one likes it and then you do it again and no one likes it, you got to go, well, maybe this is not getting the attention that I want it to get because no one likes it. Right. If you do that joke on stage, you go up on stage, you tell a joke, no one laughs. Uh, it could be an anomaly. But if you do it a few times and no one laughs, then it's not funny. So you got to rewrite it, rework it. Um, and so it's like, I, I like to do some sketches once in a while on the internet. I like to post some podcast clips, but mainly I like posting stand up clips because that's what I do best. And that's what I uh, think people are coming to my page to say. I don't and know if that answers that It does, it does. All. I just find this really interesting. And, you know, sometimes I'll creep um, people that I came up with in comedy um, just to see what they're up to. And some of them are in Canada and some of them are in the U.S. And some of them are very successful. Some of them are, you know, I don't know how they're doing. They're doing okay, I guess. And then some of them don't seem to be even active at all. But I'm shocked by how many of them um, don't, work the social media like people who were you know the real darlings of the comedy scene let's say 10 years ago haven't put a new youtube video up in eight years and i'm like i know you're still working at yuck yucks i know you're still doing shows why on earth are you not putting your stuff online like 
you know, at this point, there's no excuse. I mean, the, the, you know, it's, it's clear that, that you should be doing that. I mean, but maybe it's not clear. I think uh, a couple of things, but I think one thing mainly is people are not writing mm-hmm. and they know if they start putting their jokes on the internet, uh, then, um, uh, then they, they'll be exposed because right. it'll be like, oh, you're still doing that joke. But if you just work in the clubs, no one knows that you're just working that joke. And that's why people post a lot of crowd work, I think, is because one, crowd work's hot right now. People like it. But also you're not burning up your material. And that's why I like to post riffs and stuff. And, you know, sometimes I'll just try to post something that I that, that was funny that night. And, and I did it at a show and I got a lot of laughs. But when you post it with no context, you're not in the room. I realize, well, that's not really that funny on its own. But I think people, and also I have another friend who I, who I would not mention their name, but they had filmed a one hour special. Now, not a special special, but they just had a high quality camera and they filmed their set. And I kept asking my friend, I was like, why don't you cut um, this video? I mean, I'm talking for years. I'm like, dude, you're not utilizing your social media. And I'm like, you got this hour long video, cut it up, put it out, little clips, build your following. And he said, Basically, he said, uh, he sent a few reasons why, but one of them was fear of people not liking it yeah. and getting the rejection. That's what I think. I mean, I think that at the core, that's why people don't do it. They can make excuses like they don't have the equipment, they don't have the money, they don't know how to do this and that. But I, I, I because I mean, you know, I, I I, I relate to that. I relate to putting, you know, stand up or a video out and people not liking it. And, and, and it's sad and it hurts, you know, but you have to start, you have to start. Cause otherwise, what are you doing? It's 2022. I mean, you've got to get your stuff on the internet and you gotta, you gotta get it out every month. I think like, I just, I just feel like, because I've seen how mm, well you've navigated it, you know, and how it wasn't even, and you and you're confident too. So you're just like, well, I like my comedy and I'm sure a lot of people will like my comedy and I'm sure some people won't, but I'm just going to put my comedy out there. Yeah. I mean, I still get a few haters and, um, but it's like, um, for the most part, I mean, I will block people and I will delete their comments and I will argue with them, but I'm not really overall bothered by it. Sometimes it's amazing how you're not, it's so amazing your confidence level. Sometimes a comment will hit me in a weird way that I, that will like, like one time, I might've talked about this already, but one time I was, I had done a weekend in Phoenix and this was not this last weekend. This was uh, two years ago. And I posted a video and, and somebody commented and they go, yeah, I saw this guy in Phoenix. He was just a boring, regular, he was just a regular, boring white comedian, something like that, where it's like, and I, and I commented, I was like, oh, okay, so boring that you had to come and watch another video. Good comeback. Yeah. But it, but you know, and I didn't, at the time I wasn't bothered by the comment, but in, in the weeks leading after that, as I'm on stage, you know, I'm doing my jokes. So I'm like, I'm thinking, am I boring? Mm. Is this stuff that I'm saying boring? But I really think what that guy wanted was dirty comedy because there's nothing about my set that's boring. Now it's not going to be for everyone, uh, most people, but not for everyone, but you know, there are, there are boring comedians out there. There are boring, funny comedians out there, but I don't think that I'm one of them. I have some, uh, I have a lot of, a wide range of topics that I cover. Now, someone could be boring for various reasons. And, and that same reason could be why they're very popular. 
uh, like if someone is a, uh, you know, say a married comic that does a lot of marriage jokes and you're not married, that's probably boring to you. But to a married person, they're going to be like, oh, this is great. If you're a religious comic and you do a lot of religious jokes and you're not religious, that's probably going to be boring to you. But if you are that religious person, you're like, thankfully, somebody's finally talking to us. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. But I cover a wide range of topics. So I think when people say I'm boring, it's because I'm not super dirty. Yeah. I mean, I think it just, it truly requires such, um, self-assurance, you know, not arrogance, but just self-assurance that I'm doing what I want to be doing. I think I'm good at comedy and I'm going to share my comedy with other people that I hope enjoy it, you know, but I think so many people are in comedy to serve some sort of need or missing thing inside themselves that to, to be rejected or to not be popular to not get this and that it's, it's like, um, I don't know. It's too much for them. So they would just rather not put a video of theirs up. I think, I mean, maybe I'm projecting, but I, I I just wonder. Well, I had another friend, uh, and I watched him start his, I've watched a lot of people because I I really became a pusher of TikTok. Uh, in, in early, early COVID times, early 2020, I was sitting around here. I had an hour video that I had filmed and uh, a friend of mine reached out to me and he said, you should be on TikTok. You should post stand-up videos on TikTok. And I was not into posting a lot of stand-up videos. So I was like, all right. So I posted a couple of videos, not even framed well. Um, and one of them hit really big and I started to get a lot of followers. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. So I started to get into, I learned to edit. Like I was saying about, you know, I learned to edit these videos and add captions and do these nice things to the videos. And my following continued to grow. And I would tell other comedians, I was like, you got to be on TikTok. You got to be on TikTok. And I've watched several of them who I've told, they'll join TikTok. They'll have a few failures in a row. And then they're basically done with it. That has happened to me. Yes. They can't handle it. I can't. But I have one friend he posts, he does a lot of roast battles and he kept posting and his TikTok has really started to take off now. Uh, but it's been a long trek for him, but he just kept doing it mm-hmm. because he is funny. But sometimes it's like, you got to find your way into the algorithm. You got to work it in there. And, you know, it's like, it is an endurance game in a lot of ways. I mean, I remember the whole the whole thing of comedy is a marathon. I mean, I remember working with Chris Frangiola in 2016, maybe, maybe 15, in Columbus, Ohio. And we were talking about another comic. And he said that the booker, Dave Stroop, had offered that guy a lot of gigs, a lot of feature gigs. And he was like, I don't feature anymore. And I don't even remember that comic's name. And I just remember Chris Joel saying to me, you know, comedy's a long game, you know, and you don't want to go around burning these bridges like that, you know. Um, and if you don't feature anymore, you don't feature anymore. But the person was not famous, you know. So it's like, you don't, you know, and I learned that even working, selling pesticides. I mean, it's like, you know, someone may be, uh, the department manager of of lumber one day, and you root, you're rude to them one day, and then the next thing you know, uh, they've been transferred from the lumber department to the pesticide aisle, and now they're my direct boss. I mean, life is a long road, comedy is a long road, and if you go around 
saying, oh, F that club and, oh, I can't wait to tell them off, then, you know, I feel like just life will bring you back to a place where you need that club or you need something. Not even that that club doesn't deserve to be told off. It's just sometimes, you know, not your place to do that. Like I think God, and I don't know the verse, but I think God says uh, in the Bible, vengeance is mine sort of thing where it's like, you know, God will deal with everyone. Don't. It's not our place to be telling people off. Yeah, and pride cometh before the fall. Yes. I mean, there was one club in particular that I, that, that you know, this was a story that Hannah knows about, uh, but we, Hannah was moving down from Canada and I had reached out to a club about working their club. And I don't want to, I don't want to mention the club, but I, I reached out to them about featuring at their club. And they said to me, they go, well, we don't, this was 2015, 16. They said, we don't book anyone unless they have credits, which I didn't at the time, or unless you've done our comedy festival. And I said, okay. And they said, so just go ahead and sign up for the comedy festival. So I said, okay, no problem. And the comedy festival, it costs like 40 bucks to submit to. So I reached out to them looking for work and they basically got $40 from me. So, but I thought, hey, I'm going to get in because we've had this interaction so when Hannah was moving down, I told Hannah, I said, why don't you go ahead and submit for this comedy festival? And then if you get in, we can do it together. So she submitted. And then later she got in. I didn't. Right. So I was ve- and I wasn't bitter that she got in because I think she does deserve to get in. And uh, she's very funny. But I thought that I also deserve to get in, too. So I kind of went back and forth with that guy over email and then, you know, later on, when I had someone reaching out for me to get me gigs, they reached out to the club and the club said, you know, because they were just sending avails for me. And he said, just go ahead and take me off this list, meaning he's not interested in booking me at all. So don't send him any more avails. So fast forward, you know, years later, this is probably 2021. And I now have an agent and management and things have been going well for me. And I get asked to do this club. And now from the from the initial interaction with this person to 2021, I had always said, I, I want to get famous enough to where that club will ask me to do their club and I can say no. That was this weird pride thing in me. But when that got the offer to do the club, I just was like, I just want to do comedy. I don't have time for these weird pride games where I'm going, no, I always vowed I'd never do that club. I was like, I hear it's a great club and I've always, and I just want to do comedy. Because I kept working it. Yes. <laughs> I I'm worked like, it three or four times. Yeah. Yeah. And you said what a great club it was. Yeah. I always enjoyed it. So I was like, I'll do it. And then I did a weekend there. It was a lot of fun. I had a blast. And then the club manager reached out to my agent and said, and then, and I never get emails like this, meaning my agent never tells me, but they, they really wanted me to hear this. And he said, I always thought Dusty was wrong for this club. And then he said, but I was wrong. We had a great time and he's really, you know, he was a really good fit for the club. Aww. And so, but that, I mean, I, I say That's that. growth. Yeah, but I say that just to say it's like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to burn bridges. It's not worth it to, um, to. Begrudge. Begrudge. It's also, but, but in the, in the social media world, it's not worth it to, 
if, if, if you do things a certain way, it's not worth it to uh, compromise who you are just for views. You know, you'll get the views or you won't get the views if you keep doing it your way. But there's no need to compromise who you are in order to do it. You know, that's the same way. I mean, I had been given advice about working clean. And, um, you know, one booker said to me, he said, you know, the thing about working clean is that if you find yourself in a room where you need to be dirty, like the room won't pay attention to you and you need to get some attention, um, you know, just start cussing. It doesn't matter. Uh, and then, but, but you can't just take cuss words out when you need to be clean. So if you're clean, you can add, but you can't necessarily take away. But I had a, another person tell me, they say, you know, no, don't, don't ever compromise who you are. If you're in a room, you're doing your jokes and it's not going well, there's no need to get dirty just to make them laugh. You know, but I wonder, do you feel the same way about people who think it's inauthentic for them to work clean or to try to be clean? You know, I think I was reading Gary Shandling's book or maybe an interview with Gary Shandling and and he was pretty clean. Um, But then he was talking about uh, Sam Kinison, who he came up with, who was obviously, you know, really over the top and, and this and that. And they said, you know, you like Sam Kinison's um, comedy, Gary. And he said, absolutely. I do. Because, you know, it's just all about authenticity and if, and he's being who he is on stage. Well, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I agree. Not everyone is going to be clean and some people, and it's like, there's a lot of dirty comics I like. And to be honest, I don't like advertising myself as clean because Sometimes I like saying some stuff on stage, you know, I don't, you know, my favorite joke of yours. Yeah. I mean, I don't like to get too dirty, but I find dirty jokes funny. Sometimes I don't want to be over the top. I don't want to be filthy, but yeah, I mean, a dirty joke is fun here and there. Will you do the joke? No, (laughs) it's just never, uh, it's never fit me to be a dirty comic, but to, to come out, you know, to have my set that I have and then to say kind of a dirty joke and then feel the room kind of be like, ooh, that was edgy, you know, that's fun to me. Your fan base at this point, too, probably wouldn't care for it if you turned dirty. No. I mean, because a lot of people, or at least I guess just our friends in town who are fans of yours, you know, they appreciate that you're clean. Yes, and 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 I do. But it's like the other night I was at Zany's, I did new material night, and I got a little wild mm. on stage. It was just kind of an open mic. I didn't get too dirty, but I felt like not a lot of people clapped when I came out. Uh, and I just mean like to indicate to me that there wasn't a bunch of my fans in there. Not that they didn't like me, but maybe they just didn't know me. So I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to just, it was not advertised that I was going to be on the show. So I just got a little wild. I mainly was talking about nursery rhymes and that book that we have where it just has all these weird old school languages. I mean, you know, I wish I had the book in here. I would read a couple. Ride of them. a cock horse. Yeah, ride a cock horse. Oh yeah, uh, and then pussycat, 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 pussycat. Where have you been? It's like I've been to London to visit the Queen. Yeah, yeah, okay. and it's just like uh, okay. I don't know why we need this. You know, little boy blue. Where's little boy blue? He's sleeping under a haycock. And I'm like, <laughs> what? What is? I'm not reading this to my daughter. <laughs> Speaking of which. Yeah, so, um, all right, well, Hannah's got to take off. The uh, the baby's crying. Um, so, um, 
So now I'm alone. I'm alone in a room. I'm, I I used to do this alone all the time, but it's hard to go 50 minutes of a podcast talking to someone else and then they leave and you're just sitting here talking to yourself. But I've been watching a lot of movies. I went through quite a few movies because these plane rides I took, I watched I watched the new Batman um, with, uh, I can't think of the guy's name. I'm not going to be able to think of anybody's name, but um, you know, the latest Batman and it had like the penguin and Catwoman and Riddler in it. And I liked it pretty well. It got a little lame towards the end. I mean, I find myself siding with the bad guys all the time these days. I mean, the Riddler was like, I mean, he was murdering people. So I can't, I, you know, I don't get down with murder, but he was taking down these corrupt drug dealing politicians. I mean, people that were murdering other people, they were getting them all addicted to drugs. They were robbing the city. And I'm like, I just have a hard time being mad at the Riddler. So when, when Batman, you know, takes him down in the end, I mean, that's not going to ruin the movie for you. Batman's never going to not take down the bad guy, but when he takes him down in the end, it's like, am I really celebrating this? It's like, yeah, I don't want the guy killing people, but he was the only guy really doing anything about the corruption in the town. I mean, he really uncovered a lot. And it's like, I felt like we could have utilized him in a different way and been like, wow, you're, you're really good at uncovering corruption in the city. Maybe we'll have you come work for the, you know, the FBI or the, what what's the town called in, 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 in Batman? Gotham. Maybe it's the GBI, the Gotham Bureau of Investigation. Um, I don't know, but I just felt like, I just felt like we're really missed out on that movie by making, you know, Batman out to be this hero because he stopped the Riddler. And it's like, how about Batman do a better job of stopping the government corruption in his city? I mean, where is that at? What's he doing? And I just, you know, I kind of bored with Batman, but I did like it overall. I did like it. And I didn't think I was going to. I'd heard a podcast about it and they had some really negative things to say. I will say this. There's a real trend of movies being too dark. I don't mean dark like scary dark. I mean, like you could barely see it. And I'm about done with that. Let's brighten it up a little bit here. All right, so another movie I watched. After that one, I watched the movie um, Thor. I watched a lot of superhero movies. There's not a lot of options on a plane, and I'm not trying to watch a drama. Um, but um, I watched a movie called Thor, Love and Thunder, and I thought that is the worst that the Marvel Universe has done yet, movie-wise. I don't mean all the shows are trash, but movie wise, I think that's the worst they've done yet. And I really love Thor. I think Thor Ragnarok was my favorite, but I think they really ruined a lot and, and, and not even anything in particular, just so many things like, I don't mind Natalie Portman suddenly becoming a Thor. I don't mind it. That's fun. I like the, uh, the, the rock guy that talks a lot. Um, I like that the other woman has become queen of Asgard. I like all those things. But, and I like the bad guy, Christian Bale. I mean, the guy is top notch. He may be the best there is out there. Um, but just something about what they did in that movie just made it total garbage. 
it's just like they make such a mockery out of the whole thing that they're doing sometimes. Like, it's like I like jokes in there. Batman's too serious for me. Um, but it was too jokey. I mean, leave me some sense of reality. I know, I know that we're in space and this guy can fly with a hammer and he's the god of lightning or whatever. I mean, I know all that. But... So there is no reality unless you believe that Thor actually was a uh, a god that was worshipped in the in the back of the day. I think Thor was a god that was worshipped, um, but a Norse god. But the movie was weak, and then I watched the movie Shazam, not the old genie movie with Shaq, and not the conspiracy that's out there about uh, Sinbad being in a movie called Shazam. Uh, and not the app for down, for listening to identifying music. Uh, it's a comic book movie, I guess, from the DC universe. Probably a movie I never would have watched, but I was on a plane and I was like, well, I got time to kill. And I always, I'm always like, I'm going to edit videos. I'm going to read a book. But at the end of the day, I'm like, let's watch a movie. And so I'm watching Shazam, Shazam and I found it to be a pretty fun movie. I don't know the comic book character, but I thought it was fun because it was like, you know, a kid had become a superhero and every time he would say Shazam, he would turn into an adult, but he still had the mind of a kid. So I thought that was pretty fun because the silliness of that um, is that he's a kid. Um, let's see. Those are the three superhero movies I watched. And then I watched a movie with Val Kilmer called Thunderheart. I had never even heard of it. I think it was from the late 80s, early 90s. But it was a movie. Val Kilmer was a FBI agent uh, who uh, had some Native American uh, background. Like his f dad was half Native American from the Sioux tribe. And so he was a quarter. And they needed him to investigate something on an, uh, you know, a, a Native American reservation so they thought, well, we'll send in a guy who is Indian, you know, and that will give us a, you know, a, 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 a way in, a door in. They'll like him. And I really get down with Native American stuff. I've always liked it. I mean, you know, the religious stuff that they do is, you know, at least what's portrayed in movies is definitely not Christianity. So I can't get down with it in a sense, but... I just do love uh, at least the portrayal of the wise old Native American man with uh, these different insights, and he and he and he's having these dreams and visions. I don't believe that dreams and visions are bad. I mean, they talk about dreams and visions in the Bible, uh, but I think you know, Christianity sense they come from God, um, and. Uh, I just loved it. I, I don't know if you've if you've ever seen it. I don't want to give away a lot, and I don't have a lot of jokes about it. But I just really get down with it. And I, I, I thought, all right, I don't know what I'm about to watch, but I got a lot of time to kill. And I was just like really engrossed by it. And I, I've actually spent a few days just thinking about some of the stuff in the movie, and I just really liked it. So called Thunderheart, Val Kilmer. And Val Kilmer's great. Uh, I liked him in a lot of stuff. I liked Val Kilmer's Batman. I will say that. Obviously, oh, here's something. People have been talking about this lately. And it's uh, uh, very interesting. 
in the movie, uh, the cowboy movie with Val Kilmer, Tombstone. He he always says, and peep, there's T-shirts. People have all said this. They've been saying it forever. There's T-shirts with the word on it, and he says, "I'll be your Huckleberry." Like when the guy's like, "No, no one will fight me. Come on, no one, no one's brave enough to fight me." And and he says, Val Kilmer goes, "I'll be your Huckleberry," right? And that's what everybody believes. That's what everybody says, and it's been like that for years. But apparently, a huckle in that time was something that went on the side of a casket and uh, people would carry that when someone had died. So you would call that person a hucklebearer, like a pallbearer. So he's not saying, I'll be your huckleberry. He's saying, I'll be your hucklebearer, meaning I'll kill you. Like, I'll carry your casket when you're dead. I'll be your hucklebearer. And I've watched a few videos on this, and I do believe this to be true. I believe it's one of those great misinterpretations that we just went with. And I think the people of Tombstone were like, you know what? Not worth correcting. Let it go. Uh, Such a great movie. Val Kilmer's really great in that. There was a movie called The Saint that I watched back in the day. Really enjoyed that movie. Um... I'm sure there's some other Val Kilmer things I like, but that's all I can really think of right now. But just what an incredible guy. I'm sure I got some emails here, but I um, I don't have my phone. Let's see if I can pull something up on the old laptop here. I got some emails, but I just don't. Sometimes I read them and then I go, ooh, I got to read that on the podcast. That was very good. And then I forget all about it. I am going to get some hats. I do have the hats. People have been emailing me about hats, being like, when are the hats coming back? They're back. I just hate going to the post office. And I know that if I put them on the post office, I put them on the website, people will buy them. I'm such a terrible salesman. Um, But um, I do have a post office box. I'm reading an email right here where a guy asked if I have an address. Uh, I do. It's called, it's P.O. Box 8146. Hermitage, Tennessee, 37076. P.O. Box 8146, Hermitage, Tennessee, 37076. Oh, here's one. I've recently become a regular listener to the Nate Land podcast. I've noticed that you talk about your faith or the other uh, or the others point out how you're different in your thinking slash acting because of it. I've also listened enough to know that you used to drink a lot more. I'm presuming you've changed that due to your faith. Uh, well, I am. I am religious. Um, uh, I do like to talk about it. And I did quit drinking. And I guess I quit drinking from because of my faith. But, you know, I've always been a Christian. So, um, I, I, you know, I always prayed about not drinking. So I think that that, you know, it most certainly had an impact in the end on why I was finally able to quit is because my continual prayer about it. But, you know, I really quit because I felt bad, just physically felt bad, and I ended up quitting. And then, you know, it was my faith in Jesus that uh, kept me from drinking again. Uh, you know, I do have pretty good willpower on my own, I believe, but I, 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 don't, I, I don't know that anything is on my own. So I don't know if I have my own willpower, but um, I know that I prayed about it for a long time and it really helped. And this says, to which denomination church do you belong? How did you come to join it? And is that the reason you quit drinking? 
Uh, I don't belong to a church or denomination, but I've been to all kinds. I grew up in a, uh, going to a church in Pennon, Alabama called the Pennon Church of God. That's where my grandfather went. And then I, grandfather, grandmother, my dad, a lot of my uncles and aunts, they all went to that church growing up. And so it's a real family church, but I, you know, I don't live there. But I, I never been to another church of God that I know about, uh, at least by name. I hope that all the churches I've been to are churches of God. Um, but there was also, um, my grandmother went to a church in Valley, Alabama. I used to go to that one a lot. I believe it was Baptist. Um, and then I would go to, you know, uh, various Baptist churches throughout. I went to Airview Baptist for a little while in um, Opelika. Um, and then in Charleston, I belonged to, um, I, I want to say West Ashley Baptist. Um, I don't remember exactly. Dang, I went to that church for a while too. I really liked it. And then I got involved in the non-denominational scene where I, I went to various non-denominational churches and I liked them, but I just came into a different way of believing and I just don't believe what they believe, uh, you know, on a lot of things and a lot of things that are very important to me. I believe that you should read the Bible from the beginning to the end, and then you base, you know, all of the basis of the Bible comes off of the first five books, the, the law. And it's like, you know, it's like if, if you read, all right, you go, all right, God said we should do this. Okay, so if you read that, you go, all right, well, God said we should do this. Uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and do this. Like, even if you're reading it as a Christian and you're like, all right, well, this is for the Jews and I don't consider myself Jewish, but it also says God's people. And I'm like, well, I'm Christian. I, I consider myself one of God's people. So I'll go ahead and do what he says. And then you get to Jesus and Jesus is telling you, um, you know, there's some loose interpretation to believe that Jesus is saying you don't have to do certain things, but there also is a lot of interpretation where Jesus says, I've not come to do away with anything. Um, I've come to fulfill it, not, not to abolish. And then he makes some things stronger, makes some things harder. Like he says, um, um, you know, I, I, you've heard it said that if a man, you know, is, a, a, you know, you know, if a man kills a guy, he's guilty of murder. But I say that if you're even angry with your brother, then you've killed him already. And you've heard it said that if you sleep with a woman, you've committed adultery. Uh, but I say that if you even think about sleeping with her, you've committed adultery already. So he heightened the sense. He made it, he made it in a sense harder to not sin because it's easier to not kill someone than it is to not be angry at someone. So he made it harder. I think what they did was they made the, you know, they took away a lot of the punishment, right? So that's where I think people have a hard time with it, you know, because the Bible will say uh, in the Old Testament, if you do this, that's a stonable offense. And I think Jesus, he says, you know, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And I think in a sense, this is Jesus saying, listen, God does not change his laws, but I'm telling you that if you're guilty of sin, how are you going to stand here and stone someone else? So he's not saying that, that, that the punishment has gone away, but he's saying who among you is worthy to do this? And the answer is none of us. Um, we, none of us, but, um, so I think you, you, you read through Jesus and then you get to Paul and what you find with Paul is a lot of examples of what people believe 
are Paul saying, you don't have to do the things that God said we have to do uh, and the things that Jesus kind of reiterated, saying we don't have to do those things, even though Paul gives off a long list of things that we need to do. But he'll say at certain points, you'll do well to avoid these things. And that, in my belief, is that Paul here is he's dealing with uh, very strict Jewish people who are now coming into Christianity, who've studied Judaism uh, and, and, and have studied, uh, you know, the Talmud, the Tanakh to uh, great extents. And then you're also dealing with uh, pagans and Romans and, and people who, who've not had any uh, background with the God of Israel, right? So, that, you know, they may have their own gods and their own religious practices, but no background with the God of Israel, whereas the Jews would have, would have dealt with that extensively, right? So these two groups are coming together now into this new religion of Christianity. So when Paul's speaking, he may be speaking to the Romans at one point, he may be speaking to the Jews at one point, where he is trying to say, hey, this is how we operate here. Or, or, you know, and he says, you know, you don't have to, you know, don't let any man concern you on meat or Sabbaths or things like that. And it's like, he may be talking to the Romans and the Romans were like, well, we've been eating a lot of unclean meats and now we're afraid to sin against the Lord and we don't know what to eat anymore. Whereas the Jews who would have always been eating uh, kosher or biblical uh, they knew what to eat, so they didn't have to worry about it. So they, those people made might have made fun of people who chose to not eat meat at all. So he's saying, don't let don't let people bother you about that, or or or, or even like he says, or your sabbaths. People will say, see, that means the sabbath's not. We don't have to do the sabbath because he says, don't let people worry you concerning your sabbath. And it's like, well, what if he was speaking to someone? who was now keeping Sabbath and people around them were making fun of them for keeping Sabbath. That, that could be an example. So my point is, is if Paul is not Jesus, Paul is not God. So if Paul is telling us something and we believe that that is doing away with the law, then I feel like it's our duty to find out if God or Jesus has done away with that law and if so, um, you know, then, then it's validated, right? But if not, then we got to ask ourselves, well, are we misinterpreting what Paul's saying or is Paul a false prophet? Now, a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people in videos I watch really calling out Paul. I don't think that's the case. I think Paul is being misinterpreted. All right. Well, thank you for that email. That really got me into some stuff. Another guy sent me an email agreeing with his uh, with the loud chewing. I think they have a term for that. Uh, he he mentions it here. Oh, misophobia, mis misophonia is what he said. And I don't know if that's right, but M Y S O P H O N I A. That could be misophobia, and that could be a, wrong with the N. I don't know. I don't know the word, but um, where you um, Extreme level of annoyance caused by other people's chewing noises. I don't think I have that, but I do get irritated with chewing. Let's see if this one. Here it goes. For the past few months, I've truly enjoyed both of your podcasts. I saw Aaron at Comedy Catch and learned about Nate Land, and I found your personal podcast after that. I was able to see Brian at the Comedy Catch as well. I am working in Nashville. Oh, okay. Let's see. Oh, hopefully. Okay. You'll be at the show. Hopefully. I just wanted to say, I appreciate everything you do and stand for. I am a disabled veteran. 
I was injured in Iraq, and since that time, I have shared scripture with people and been a counselor. I work with mental health cooperative. Uh, I work with a mental health cooperative housed out of Nashville, but I work out of Chattanooga mostly. Uh, On a scriptural page, we are very similar. I actually pastored a church before and found out we were not really following scripture. We have a small Bible studies. uh, I can't read. I don't know what's wrong with me. We have small Bible studies on Sabbath now, and we have been celebrating feast days for about four years. We actually did Sukkot with a group called Seeking Scripture this year in Huntsville. It was fun to celebrate with 250 other people and read scripture while enjoying his creation. I'm writing you tonight because I would love to meet you one day. Uh, I would love to talk about the Bible or anything else. Um, well, this is really great. Thank you for this email. I appreciate that. Uh, very exciting. I'm sorry to hear that you were injured in Iraq. Thank you for your service, but I am sorry to hear that. Um, but it is so great. I mean, I heard some some uh, thing the other day that I thought was interesting, and this was not even a biblical podcast. But, you know, this talked about um, helping healing people, right? They said, sometimes people have burdens in their life and we see that they have burdens and maybe we have an ability to help them with those burdens. And we think, oh man, I just want to help them. And then we, we do help them and we take those burdens away from them. Um, and we, in, in, in our minds make their lives better. But I think, uh, but the, the point they were making is sometimes those burdens are put on those people because there is something for them to learn from it, right? Now, we may not agree with that, and we may not appreciate it, and we may not like it, but maybe there is something to be learned. And the reason I'm saying that is I don't know this person prior to, uh, well, I don't know this person at all. So, uh, but I know that they say they're, they're you know, they're, they've found, um, uh, what I believe is is biblical studies and and you know is is the the I don't know correct interpretation of the Bible Christianity uh, by celebrating the old feast and stuff and they also are are working to help other people with their mental health and this and that and it's like maybe this person would not have found this work had it not been for this injury in Iraq now maybe the two are not connected at all I have no idea. But maybe they are in some way. And maybe sometimes when we're experiencing pain and hurt and troubles um, and we think, oh, gosh, this is just so awful. I wish I didn't have to deal with this. Maybe that it is a lesson that we're learning from that in some way. Uh, I know for me, a lot of my times of trouble and drama and, and so many of it has been a learning experience that has made me a better person. Um, even just, you know, it's a small thing, but even just talking about that club, I mean, at the time when I had this fiasco with the club and the comedy festival and that whole thing, I mean, I didn't enjoy that. That was not fun for me. I was struggling for money and I needed a gig. I was looking for a gig and I was robbed of $40. I believed at that time. I don't feel that way now, at least not about the club manager. I think the guy kind of booking the festival robbed me in a way because he knew I was good. But, um, um, but you know, it is what it is. And I just think that sometimes we have burdens and hardships in our lives because we need to go through it. Um, nobody ever likes to hear it, but we do need to go through it, especially in America. Now, I know everybody's lives are different, but we have it really good 
in a lot of ways. Now, I know people have bad, bad lives, even in America, but, you know, I see homeless people that are overweight, and I just think about that, and I think, wow, uh, no doubt they're, they're going through something. I mean, they're, you know, they're sleeping outside or whatever has led them to panhandle. Uh, it's not good, but I look at them and I say, at least even in the hardship that they're going through, they're able to eat, you know, they're getting food. Um, so, you know, it's like if, you know, just think about that. I, I think people have already made a joke about people saying things like that. Like they're making fun of saying, oh, even homeless people are overweight. And I, I guess it can be a joke. But imagine, and in Nashville, we have homeless people or panhandles at, at so many of our red lights and intersections. You know, they'll be selling newspapers or whatever, and they'll just be trying to make money. Um, imagine if every one of those you pulled up to, those people were visibly starving. Imagine you could see their bones and they were anorexic looking people. How much would that change? How much would that impact you? But I think we see them and they have weight on them. And we say things like, oh, look at them. Everybody's hiring out here. Everybody's hiring. Want to just go get a job. Everybody's hiring. You know, and it's like, in a lot of ways, that's true. But in other ways, I don't know what the people are going through. So I try to not judge. But I just think we have great abundance here. And sometimes we need to go through hardships in order to see that we do need God, right? I think that it's easy to not need God, theoretically, easy to not need God when we have all our needs are met. Most of us wake up every day out of a comfortable bed. We get into a hot shower. We put on clean clothes. We eat at least tasty food. Um, and then we get in our gasoline powered cars or electric cars and we drive in air conditioner or heater with windshield wipers, um, to our jobs and make money. now even there's a, even, you know, a smaller percentage goes inside and sets in a climate controlled environment every day. Other people drive or work outside. I realize some people have very hard jobs. But for the most part, our lives are very good. And I think sometimes we do need hardship in order for, for us to take notice and be like, oh, you know, there is a higher, higher power here and I need to give regard to it. And we think sometimes, I've heard people say, oh, they'll, they'll criticize God and say, oh, oh, he's the creator of everything, but he needs our attention. He needs our prayer or, or things are going to, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, he created us. I think he wants some acknowledgement and some love. Want some love up there. So anyway, I uh, hope this has been a fun podcast. It might have been a little longer than I than I thought it would be, but when Hannah left, I got into a bit of a uh, I got on a bit of a tangent there. Uh, thank you very much. We're having a good time. Mm-hmm.